Welcome to episode five of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm James Cohn. We're coming to you from behind the ghost of the old rock and bowl in mid-city New Orleans. Uh, today, we're going to be talking to local documentarian Max Cusimano, who uh, I met through James. Uh, how exactly did y'all meet again? Uh, he came into my restaurant that I work at, Green To Go. He was filming a video for Yelp, and we just started talking about movies, and he had told me that he has a docu- documentary available and i kind of told you and then you reviewed it for the site right right uh, yeah i watched this documentary new city which is sort of a 10-year check-in on katrina on new orleans after katrina um when the anniversary was last year uh and once you once i inter- once i did the uh review i contacted him for an interview and he just came over to my house for cocktails that's pretty much what the conversation we're gonna be playing later and then what else are we gonna be talking about uh before we get to that yeah we're gonna talk about um this movie alligator people for our movie the minute uh <laughs> it's this like late 50s monster movie set in baton rouge and lafouche parish uh about alligator people yeah it says it right there in the title <laughs> it's a very fun movie and all of that's coming up to you right, right now, now. time for our movie of the minute section this is uh where james and i sort of go back and forth recommending movies to each other uh this is my turn so i made james watch this uh corny 50s monster movie called alligator people yeah and it was a nice change of pace too honestly because some of the we were getting a little heavy with like the last one with the devils and now yeah and this kind of broke that up a little bit it was it was really fun you want to kind of give a brief prop Plot synopsis? Or? Yeah, so um, this is a pretty standard monster movie. Uh, it was made by Fox to be on a double bill with The Return of the Fly, which is a sequel to the Vincent Price movie that Cronenberg later uh, mm-hmm. adapted. Um, it was supposed to be uh, sort of like, almost like a prestigious horror movie because it's got kind of like a drama like a drama aspect to it. And they filmed it in CinemaScope, which was like really expensive way to film movies at the right. time. Um, but it's mostly just fun as like a campy uh, horror movie. It's not doesn't really have that yeah. many dramatic elements to it. Um, so it has a pretty shitty reputation. It's got like a twenty one percent on the tomato meter, which is not. That's great. really su- that's surprising to me, honestly. I, why is it rated so low? I, I don't thought know. It, for uh, going into this movie, I kind of had very low expectations, and it. 
don't know. I, I sort of disagree with you saying that the it doesn't have like a good story or a good dramatic like the performances are really good. Yeah. First of all. And the story is intriguing. Well, maybe it's the production value that kind of drags down the story. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think if it had a little bit more money. Right. Especially with, you know, some of the special effects. So basically in the movie, this woman uh, is a newlywed and she finds out that her uh, recent husband uh, was in some kind of uh, airplane crash when he was in the, uh, when he was in the army. Um, and he abandons her on their honeymoon, just like disappears. Yeah, he gets he, a telegram, and he just like steps off the train, and he just vanishes. Very long story short, this guy was involved in some sort of medical experiment where they put lizard DNA in people's bodies, because <laughs> right. the thinking is that when you're an amputee, because lizards can grow back their tails, uh, you would be able to grow back your arm. But, right. And it works for a while, but what happens in the long run is that you turn into an alligator person. A hideous, yeah, alligator person. <laughs> and the, uh, the problem with this logic, obviously, is that alligators do not grow back their tails and limbs when they get severed off. No, um, the lizards do. Right. But, no, not alligators. So this movie just sort of lumps all reptiles into like this one category. Um, so the woman uh, does not give up on finding her missing fiancé. She ends up in Baton Rouge and then uh, Lafouche Parish uh, mm-hmm. and finds the uh, sort of plantation slash science lab where uh, alligator people are being created. Yeah, out in the swamp. Out in the swamp. <laughs> uh, and basically she's digging into this mystery. She eventually finds her husband who's basically half alligator person. Uh, yeah. Still on the brink of humanity, but just covered in scales and talking like an idiot. Like he, he has this like weird really way sad, of talking. Yeah, I'm, I'm an alligator. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm an alligator now. Oh. <laughs> very pathetic, and yeah. his his poor face covered in scales. <laughs> um, and he really wants to uh, try this experimental. Um, procedure that's supposed to bring him back into humanity but it basically just turns him into full-blown alligator man <laughs> right. uh standing on the uh antagonist side of this movie is only one character really uh everyone's really trying to help this poor guy who accidentally became an alligator uh, but there's this one drunk uh alligator hater um who's <laughs> sort of like this like cajun version of captain hook um Played by Lon Chaney Jr., who's like in so many great classic monster movies, um, and I guess in this version, like man is the true monster because this guy just like is uh, has a murderous uh, inclination yeah. towards alligators. I mean, I for me, I don't I don't know how you felt about his performance, but I think he definitely like carried the movie, or at least that's what I remember most. Because <laughs> anytime he's on on camera, he just chews up the scenery. Yeah. Uh, I know we have, like, a, a clip from that. Yeah, we just played a clip from him uh, just yelling about how he's never going to stop killing gators. Uh, he has this other line in the movie where uh, Alligator Man's running away from him, and he just screams, I'm going to get you, Alligator Man, just like <laughs> I kill all the other four-legged gators. Yeah. There's a scene where he runs an alligator over with his car. Yeah, and just and, laughs maniacally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He's consistently drunk, uh, which makes the performance really fun to watch, just because like wasted Lon Chaney yelling at Gators. And I did, yeah, and 
I don't know. I like to think that he actually was drunk because it's. He <laughs> seems pretty drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just the idea of drunk Lon Chaney yelling at alligator people. It's pretty entertaining. And. <laughs> Okay, he is a villain though. Like as fun as it is to watch his performance, uh, there's a scene where he attempts to, I believe, rape. The, yeah, uh, that was so. There was a few moments like that in the movie that were like very uncomfortable and. Also, I don't know how you felt about it, but the like, the way, and I guess it's indicative of the times, but the way that black people are portrayed in the movie they're as the help and they're kind of the well this is in the 50s but it's also in the 50s in louisiana so it's right. it's pre-desegregation uh, and it does feel almost like slavery just never ended yeah but, but it's like 59 like it seems like it should have we're already kind of in the civil rights i don't know movie. if you've been up to north louisiana anytime recently but it still feels like it's from a different time so it, it doesn't feel that out of step with like uh with how things probably were down here, but it is very uncomfortable. Yeah, so th- there's that, like, tinge of racism, and also his, like, sexual assault of her is, like, very uncomfortable, too, and I yeah. was wondering, like, it, it just seems so kind of out of place, really, but it does establish him as, like, a really nasty Yeah, because it's actually fun to watch him for mo- much of the movie, and then you get to that scene, you're like, man, this guy is an absolute monster. Yeah, true. Up until that point, he I don't know, he's kind of... A good guy in a way like he just wants to kill alligators because they uh took off his hand you know so it makes sense but yeah. then when that happens he, it's full-on like a, bad guy. A, a note on the hand um i was mentioning captain hook earlier because like, one of the gators ate his hands so he has like a hook for right hand. but the uh prosthetic is so bad that you could just see his whole hand under the glove just yeah. ripping the hook well because you look at it and it's like longer right you know what i'm saying like if his hand was actually cut off they didn't even like elongate the sleeve to hide his fist like it's just in full view it's it's pretty badly done and i i don't know that's kind of how all the special effects are in the movie it's yeah cool. i mean once paul becomes full gator man uh, at the end he has like a instead of just scales he has like an alligator head uh, it looks really corny. Like it looks like somebody's like Halloween Mardi Gras costume. Yeah, um, but it's. Uh, I mean, it's fun. Like yeah. that's what you kind of go to those kind of movies expecting. I also like the shots of the alligators, which are obviously like real. Pro- well, sometimes they're real, and then other times they're just props. Uh-huh. And seeing the actors, like there's the one scene where they put the alligator like. I think on like a gurney or something. It's just obviously <laughs> a like wooden alligator. They're trying to like wrestle, wrestle it, it, and yeah. it's just like it reminds me of the Bride of the Monster. Oh, when uh, Bella Gosi's like wrestling with an octopus. Right. It's just really funny to see. Yeah. That. But it. But like you pointed out too, there are real alligators. Yeah. Like people kind of like. I guess they forgot that they were working with these live animals, so like they'll kind of like just step over them, kind of bump into these gators. Uh, yeah, sort of nonchalantly. It's like I can't believe no one got bit on the set. There, I mean, there's a scene where, um, where she's walking through the swamp, like after she yeah, initially, that's what I was of. yeah, sees her husband in his alligator form, and she's chasing him down. And there's a part where she just like casually steps right over a real alligator. Yeah, and I'm just like, this can't be safe <laughs> at all. Like, were, were people not concerned and? If they weren't really concerned, like, why not just use alligators for the whole movie? Like, why have it be half right. real, half wooden? I don't know. And I do, my favorite, one of my favorite shots in the whole film is uh, when they're kind of prepping Paul for his experiment. They tried on a gator first. 
uh, and they put him on uh, the table in this like really ridiculous science lab. And it's a real alligator, but it's, like, strapped to this table with, like, a little helmet on it. And they, like, shine this, like, laser beam into it. I'm like, this is great, like, shitty sci-fi right now. So that that laser beam scene, I had my headphones on, and it made the worst noise. (laughs) It it was just, like, for a minute, this really high-pitched, annoying beeping sound. Just, like, I had to take my headphones out because it was so shrill. But, um, But anyway, I... I really enjoyed it. Like, yeah. I think, you know, like, I don't really get into these kind of classic B-movies in the way that you do. So, like I said, I was going into it kind of expecting to kind of tolerate it and right. thinking it would be fun. But I actually thought of those kind of movies that I've seen, it's one of the better ones for sure. I mean, it's kind of like a Louisiana-themed version of The Fly, which I guess is what they were going for when they made it. Um, yeah. It's hard to separate because we're from here and like uh, one of the first scenes she goes to uh, LSU which we both dropped out of that school mm-hmm. um, it's hard, kind of hard to separate like what local like kind of nostalgia we have uh, I think from what the movie delivers I think if you're from Louisiana you might enjoy it more than you're from somewhere else but I can't really say it for certain I, yeah I was kind of thinking that because a lot of movies uh, you know Louisiana has been having this resurgence. A lot of films are being shot here, mm-hmm. but very few of them actually feel like New Orleans or Louisiana. Well, what they'll do is they'll film a movie here and they'll set it in Florida or they'll set it in Texas. So they'll get their establishing shots in Florida and Texas and then film all the actual scenes here. Yeah. So they're kind of like, kind of. And it doesn't feel like authentic. And Louisiana. it's not supposed to. Yeah. But with this, uh, they were definitely going for like real Louisiana like down in the bayou and that, I think that is part of the appeal of the movie to me I mean I don't think if I was from somewhere else that I would have liked it as much yeah I was kind of kind of struggling that in my brain if I was just like sort of attaching myself to it on like an emotional level but whatever, but whatever. it's really yeah, fun exactly. to watch it is fun to watch uh, I mean if nothing else that Lon Chaney performance is one for the ages uh, that stupid sort of Phil Harmon accent that Paul has when he's a gator. He's just so apologetic. Yeah. <laughs> so, so sad. He's so pathetic. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like you said, like some of the dramatic elements are pretty good just because they're like a Southern Gothic, like, like Tennessee Williams type drama, but they're set within this like ridiculous monster movie. Right. Like the doctor, for instance, uh, I really like, he has this little monologue where he talks about how we... We think of ourselves as like separate from the alligators, but we actually all came from like the ooze of the swamp. Yeah. You know, that's where like life kind of started. And I don't, there are little parts in there like that that I do think add some dramatic weight to it. But obviously that's not the main kind of push in the movie. But I I did like those parts too. I do think it works on a dramatic level better than some of the other movies I've seen in this genre. Oh, totally. Um, I guess like if if I'm just going to sort of wrap up here, the like one thing that kind of disappoints me like trivia wise was that this movie almost had an Atari game attached to it. And I would fucking love to play like an alligator people Atari game, whether or not it's like a simulation or whatever. Yeah. I read that on, on the Wikipedia and yeah, it was Atari. So it was like early, 80s. Right, so it's like 30 years after the movie came out. Why? I mean, <laughs> and it probably would have looked so crappy, too. Right. It would have been very, 
Yeah, and I was reading it. Was supposed to follow the plot of the movie pretty closely. But how I, is that even possible? Do you like? Okay, here's my here's my guess. Yeah, you're uh, an airplane pilot, and then you crash, and then a scientist brings you back to life, and you're a Gator Man. Yeah, I mean, but what's your obstacle? You have to kill the Gator hating like Cajun Man that I gets drunk and tries to shoot you. I don't know, but I would like. To, well, first of all, I would like to see it on like a PlayStation Four. Can you imagine, <laughs> Alan? But also, like, uh, I don't know. They keep remaking like good movies. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, why not remake something like this that has that potential to? You could take it to the next level instead of remaking something that's already kind of a classic. Oh, I, totally I wish agree. they would do that more often. And you know, honestly, that's kind of what was happening in the 80s like uh john carpenter's the thing was a remake and oh was it yeah i didn't know that and um you know the was, fly was a remake what was uh it a remake of the thing um it's called the thing from another world or the thing oh, from another planet okay. it's a howard hawks movie okay I have and it's not that. like the originals are bad it's just that bringing them into that gory 80s practical effects era like sort of added this other whole other level of intensity to them and, you know, remaking stuff that was already in that practical effects era, now, with CGI, is kind of like taking away from what the movies had that were special. That's true, because you wouldn't have that sort of camp value of, you know, the the just plastic alligator head. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, they would do some CGI, and it would probably look great and scary, and but... But, yeah, if they, um, if they just brought back alligator people, but somehow did it with better practical effects than what was available at the time I would be totally into it I would yeah I'd be down too I, I mean a little CGI around the edges is not a big deal but I don't want a CGI alligator head you don't want to see the Michael Bay alligator people <laughs> yeah, no. I mean I have gone on record several times saying that I fucking <laughs> love that latest Ninja Turtles movie I thought it was awesome so oh that was Michael Michael well, Bay. he produced it, but produced a lot of people it. hated the way the turtles looked, and I like how gross they are. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's really off-putting in a fun way. But um, um, yeah, I guess it, for me, like in summary, I I definitely would put it up there of you know this genre of movies, one of the better ones I've seen, and I love Lon Chaney in there, and I think it's worth watching. Yeah, just for that performance and because it, it's like a short, fun movie and if you're from louisiana you get that extra kind of nostalgia thing going on so yeah definitely recommended and also um it's a mercifully short like 75 minutes right which is like a breeze for this kind of film and uh i think there the version i have is on this like four disc set with the fly and the cabinet of dr caligari the 60s one um and probably one other like pretty great horror movie so if you can get a copy of that it's like you know, less than 20 bucks and you get four awesome movies. So it's mm-hmm. definitely out there in like a great format um, and it's easy to own. So yeah, check it out as soon as you can. Bye. And now I'm here with uh, director, photographer, Max Cusimano. Hello. How you doing? Uh, today we're going to talk about Max's documentary New City, which is uh, streaming right now on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's a 10-year anniversary check-in on the state of New Orleans after uh, Hurricane Katrina. Um, I basically just wanted to uh, start off just kind of getting a good idea of where you came from making this movie. Um, are you from New Orleans? Or? I'm not. I'm from Lafayette. Lafayette. Um, but interestingly, I, I, I think of myself as sort of a 
a, a weird kind of transplant because my parents are from New Orleans. My grandparents are from New Orleans. Okay. And my great-grandparents, I believe, at least some of them immigrated here. So uh, I'm actually the first generation to be born outside of New Orleans, but I've moved back to New Orleans. Okay. So I kind of, I'm bringing the family back to New Orleans <laughs> in a way, although I still have family in Lafayette. All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, what area do you live in right now? I live uptown. Yeah. Uptown? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, I guess also, uh, maybe maybe this ties into the family thing, but um, besides just the 10-year anniversary of Katrina last year, is there any other reasons why you started thinking about making a documentary about the city? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I moved here three years ago. Uh, I actually was in California for 12 years, and then I had about eight months in Lafayette. Uh, most of my work was coming from New Orleans. So uh, I moved here because I was here, you know, two, three times a week sometimes. And it was just the traveling was, you know, and also, you know, I met the woman that I'm about to marry. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, so, so that kind of brought me in as well. Um, and I think I was really excited about the city. Um, that might be part of it. Uh, and then, you know, it's a new city for me as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also saw a lot of amazing things happening here, this renaissance that was happening and some people, you know, may not like that, that word renaissance, but <laughs> I, I think, you know, you know, some very, very, uh, well-read historians in the city, at least one in particular, uh, has said that New Orleans is experiencing another renaissance. And so it's an exciting time to be here. And, yeah. uh, I think what happened was about eight months before I, uh, before the actual 10 year anniversary, uh, I realized, you know, 10 years, that's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a time to reflect and uh, you know I really want to make this film and and um, get it out by that date because uh, I think there'll be a lot of interest mm -hmm. and um, it turned out there was a ton of interest especially because uh, a lot of people came in to tell the same story and I didn't know that was going to happen um, and but I think this is a unique telling of the story because it's from someone who lives here it's not CNN coming in and right. making a you know your standard generic recap you know where they just talk to the mayor and a few other people and even though the mayor's in mine mm -hmm. I also have people from the neighborhoods and uh, more of a locals perspective on the 10-year anniversary as opposed to some gigantic conglomerate coming in and making it well I noticed like uh, what one way you got to talk to locals and stuff was you were focusing on like bars and restaurants I want to know like how early you decided to meet people that way uh, yeah and how much that had to do that with was pretty much from the beginning I, I so for my my normal job, I work uh, in video production advertising a lot, and um, I shoot at restaurants a lot. And uh, so I already have a, fam a familiarity with shooting food and, and chefs and so on and so forth, and I have a strong interest in that. I'm also an Anthony Bourdain fanatic, mm -hmm. so he had a strong influence on me. So I, I wanted to bring in that, – that's what excited me most, more than like the talking heads and yeah. people telling me about the economics of the city, which – is interesting but what really drives my passion is you know the cultural the really cool food shots and the you know also music and and things of that nature although this isn't a very music centric film mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm really driven by the arts and and i consider food and art and so uh it's culinary art you know yeah it seemed like you were actually like trying consciously to like keep uh, bringing that back in like oh now let's check out some more food yeah well my original conception was actually i was going to do 10 restaurants 10 bars 10 years after Katrina oh wow all in different neighborhoods and I was going to go in, into each bar and ask them how their neighborhood is doing 10 years after Katrina so it was going to be broken down by neighborhoods 
And then I decided at some point, well, I should also have, you know, uh, it went beyond that. It evolved into something else, yeah. which is what it is now. But the original, the, you know, one of the original conceptions, you know, it went through many phases before I actually started, like, really zeroing in on what I was doing. I think anyone in the creative process doesn't really know what they're doing oh, until yeah. they get a little... Especially get, for a documentary. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, I had a general idea and that guided me and, and it ended up being what it is. Um, do you have, like, a favorite person you interviewed for the movie? Or? Favorite person I interviewed for the movie... Um, I think someone who had a really great personality was Peter Raschuti. Oh yeah, out to lunch. Out to lunch radio personality, uh, uh, professor at Tulane. Oh cool. Uh, creator of the Birkin Road Reports. I think that's the name of it. Um, he's just a genius, but he's also got this wonderful personality, and very charismatic and and very genuine. Uh, so he was he was a lot of fun. It was also really exciting to interview the mayor because <laughs> when he arrived, his entourage showed up before him, and uh, you know he's he's got. Uh, security detail and so they came in and checked it all out and I dealt with like five people before I ever even got to talk to him so that was kind of exciting um, and I, you know I, I enjoy talking to everyone I enjoy talking to you know small business owners in the in the lower ninth ward uh, a restaurant owner in the lower ninth ward um, so I, I can't really say I had a favorite but it was it was a fun experience all around yeah yeah um so you said you contacted the mayor, um, and you had people like Tom Fitzmorris on here. I had Tom Fitzmorris; he was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what was like the uh, process of like getting in touch with those people? Is that was that kind of daunting, or was it fairly easy? Well, so um, I had personal connections to both Tom Fitzmorris and the mayor. Oh, cool! So uh, I I, uh, I was able to say, hey, I know so and so. They gave me your email, or they told me to get in touch with you, and so I think that gave me the confidence to sort of just go right after him. But, you know, I probably would have done it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and they probably would have done it anyway, uh, whether I knew anyone or not. But it made it easier for me, at least confidence-wise, to, to go in and say, hey, I know so-and-so. Can we, can we meet up? Can we talk about this thing I'm making? Awesome. Um, okay, so earlier you were talking about the word renaissance, which is kind of like a mission statement for this movie. Yes. Um, so very early on in uh, New City, you kind of um, find this uh, positivity about where the city's heading and just sort of like making it seem almost like we have this opportunity now to make something good out of this terrible thing that happened. Um, were you sort of surprised by the overall like positivity you got out of your interviewees? or Not really. And, and it's interesting how I came to that thesis because, I mean, I felt it. You know, we all, I think it was probably there in my mind that, yeah, the city's doing great. And I had probably had conversations with people about it. But um, what was really interesting is... Uh, is back to Anthony Bourdain. I was watching an episode of Anthony Bourdain where he came to New Orleans a couple years ago and he was talking to, I think, Donald Link, Chef Donald Link, you know, owns, I don't know, 10 restaurants here now or five five to 10 restaurants here now. Is that Kushan or is that somebody else? Yeah, Kushan oh. and, and a few other ones. And um, he uh, he was telling Anthony Bourdain the city was doing great and blah, blah, blah. And Anthony Bourdain kind of looked shocked. <laughs> and he's like, you know, the rest of the country doesn't, I don't think the rest of the country really knows this. And I think this was after I decided to start making the documentary, but it really, it really caught my attention. I was like, okay, well, if the rest of the country doesn't know this, maybe this is you know a really valid, you know, statement to make. It, you know, we're having this renaissance here, and uh, and I also thought generally it was exciting. I think the city is in a very special moment. At least it was when I was making this documentary <laughs> a few months ago. Yeah. And um, I don't know if anything's changed in the last you know uh, eight months or so, but. Um, I, I think it's in a really special place. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, like when you're watching, like even like a football broadcast, it's so just 
relentlessly annoying how every time they film here, they're like, oh, and then Katrina happened, and they make, basically make the city seem like it's been in a rut for the past decade. Right. So, And they like to capitalize on the disaster, and I think that's what some people appreciate about the film, is like, I didn't just turn it into this, like, let me, like, capitalize on all the drama and all the the, the footage of, like, people, you know, just terrible footage. Oh, uh, yeah. And so you don't really see... I very much footage in the whole film about what happened you know right you don't see the disaster stuff and what you're seeing is what what's happening now and I, I think that's important you know I think people have been inundated with all this disaster footage and so I think some people appreciate it. I think when people heard of some friends of mine heard I was doing this Katrina documentary that I think you know they were they may have feared that it was just gonna be another expose on all the disaster, but when they when they watched it, they actually felt good about, you know. It made me feel better about certain stuff, because, you know, it's like easy to get negative about new people coming here, and just like massive change like we've seen recently, because you don't want to let go of like the tradition and the culture, which is such a strong part of what makes New Orleans special. Like You don't want the city to become like every other city in the country. And I think a lot of people express that sentiment, oh, and definitely. I think that's a valid sentiment, and I think, thank God, there's people like you here who fight for that because uh, that that ultimately may preserve the city in, in a way. Um, and uh, that's an important mentality, but it can't become xenophobia. or Totally. It can't become the fear of new people because as you stated in your review of the film, you know, this city is, it's a port city. It's always, it's always had new people coming in and, and changing it. And I think that point is also made in the documentary, I think but the concern is raised by a lot of valid people. Jeff Duncan, writer for, um, you know, uh, Times Pick, uh, you know, he 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 expressed that. He said he doesn't want you know this this new culture coming in to change what's always been here. But at the same time, he realized that the people who come here come here for a reason. They right. love it. It's in there, you know. It attracts them for a reason. And then you know, like Mayor Landrew said, you know you don't come to New Orleans and change New Orleans. You know, <laughs> New Orleans changes you. You know, you become New Orleans. Yeah. New Orleans doesn't become you. It gets in your soul. And honestly, I've experienced that. I mean, granted, my whole family's from here, but coming to live here for the first time full time, I feel like it's gotten into my soul. I mean, I can even tell you, like, you're coming from, what'd you say? Um, Lafayette? Lafayette. Uh, I'm from Chalmette, right? It's okay. just like, yeah. just outside the city. Right. Yeah. And even I feel like an intruder sometimes, you know, like it's, I'm not exactly part of the city, you know? Right. And there's this sort of like protectiveness with uh, holding the culture down. But right. that is, we do have to accept new people and just give them time to like acclimate to what we're trying exactly. to do here. Yeah. And, and, and some change is good. I mean, New Orleans is not perfect. No. And, and so some of the things that these people can bring can be very valuable and I think they are are doing that and I think they are lifting the economy in certain ways and creating jobs and brighter smarter people coming into the city not necessarily brighter than people who are already here but having bright intelligent people come into the city is not a bad thing no because they're going to they're going to do things and that's that's something we you know any city would should hope for and I guess the hope is that once they're here they like fish for local talent to sort of bring them up um yes because you want you don't want just want new money coming in you want to like bring people up who are already here you know that that is very you want, important you want companies to put roots down once they make it here and that and that's really important too and that's inevitably probably going to happen especially in the bigger companies but you also see some of these companies hiring a bunch of other transplants mm -hmm. which it's fine it creates a a, a thriving economy here uh, but you're right. You want to you want to see locals get hired and get some of the jobs too. And I, I 
hopefully and hopefully that's happening you know yeah, the um, company Dinner Lab that you, uh, uh-huh. yeah. I see them advertising all the time for job opportunities. Cool, yeah. Uh, how did you get um, connected with them? Is that through your, uh, your... So actually the first Dinner Lab was held at my mother's house. Oh, wow. Brian Bordanik, who started Dinner Lab, was my mom's next door neighbor. And uh, he went to my mom one day and was like, hey, I've got this idea. Can I host the first one at your house? And my mom was like, sure, yeah. And you know, now they're in 32 cities and they're multi-million dollar company oh wow uh, and it's uh, just done really well but that's that's a New Orleans success story from a transplant it's a mm-hmm. guy who moved here from from uh, well Atlanta but he's a New Yorker originally or not Atlanta somewhere in Georgia uh, UGA I believe is where he went to college and um, he'll kill me if he ever hears this this <laughs> interview and <laughs> finds out I don't know exactly uh, what city <laughs> in Georgia he was in but uh, you know that's a that's a story of someone who came in and created a very vibrant company, uh, and the city is very proud of that company, and it should be. And there is something like um, to say about how positive that feels when you're interviewing that uh, that guy, and then when you go out to uh, the Lamplighter Lounge in Metairie, and you get these like sort of dark souls or sort of brooding over like old wounds. Um, I just wanted to know like how uncomfortable you felt when you were talking <laughs> to those people because it gets pretty dark. Uh, yeah. Uh, in that bar yeah you know those were nice guys and mm-hmm. I may have done them a disservice I think a lot of people have watched the film and they and you know they've been uh, like you know really hated those guys and, yeah but you know I have a lot of empathy for them you know because they're struggling economically and it's not necessarily anyone's fault um, it's just you know the this you know these are guys that are working in, in you know construction or welding type jobs and uh, blue collar work and the a lot of Hondurans moved into mm-hmm. the city after Katrina to help rebuild the city and you know to, to follow their own path of success. And sometimes it's created conflict with these guys, and um, they're struggling, you know. And and it's it's not you know it it's easy to just like judge them and and you know and, and say oh they're just pessimists and negative. But at the same time, you know they're they're trying to feed their families, and uh, so you know I really love those guys, even though. I don't even need, mean to say that they were like pessimistic in, an, in like a um, oh wow they should like cheer up kind of way. It was almost like it was reflecting this like negative thought process I have about certain things. Sure, yeah. Uh, it just like sort of reminded me of um, just sort of like negative thought loops I get into about where things are going and then seeing that uh, contrasted with like more positive aspects was just sort of like an inspiring kind of thing I didn't expect to find in the movie. Oh cool. It was just like a um just like, oh, I could think this way or I could like... <laughs> think this way. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it's socioeconomic, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's these guys are working different types of jobs than like Peter Raschuti and the mayor. Yeah. You know? Those guys have white collar jobs and they're, they're not in fear of, you know, not being able to support their family very much. And these guys are. And so a lot of it isn't so much about, you know, just a mindset. It's about where they are, you know, economically and... That being said, though, you know, maybe even someone in that economic stance could take a different viewpoint and be more positive, like you're saying, and maybe that would help pull them out or help them find solutions that they need to find, or maybe maybe they just shouldn't do that. I, I really <laughs> it's It's almost like a mental health issue, almost like, I feel like a lot of people have unresolved issues, they don't really have resources to um, work, work through, and it's easy to get stuck in a rut that way. Hmm. Um, not that I'm, like, diagnosing these people, but right. it just reminded me of, like, you know certain things that I've seen among friends uh, and family. Okay. Um, just the way the storms change people. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Right. 
Um, so I guess uh, another question I had is just, um, are there any particular documentaries about New Orleans you were looking at or that you hold in high regard at all um, in general? Uh, not about New Orleans. I, the, my biggest influence was, was Anthony Bourdain's stuff. I mean, okay. I just love what he's doing with this mix of culture. Uh, he, he's going and having very intelligent conversations about various cultures and mixing them with something exciting like food and really and really amazing cinematography. I mean, I wish the cinematography in my film was 10% of what that guy does. I mean, <laughs> what they're doing is just, in my mind, groundbreaking. And whether or not you like Anthony Bourdain or think he's, you know, whatever, you, whatever your opinions about him, the art that he's creating with his team is incredible. And... Um, so I don't think there were any particular New Orleans documentaries. I, I've been trying to watch Big Charity, but I don't know how to see it. I don't know that one. Uh, it was the one that I think it won New Orleans Film Festival two years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, or at least it was in the in the festival. Um, it was about the hospital, uh, Charity Hospital. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've I been trying that. to watch that. I don't know how to get a hold of that. Um, there was another one about the school system that was pretty big recently. Oh, I did. Um, I did see one about the school system. It was like a 60-minute thing that I, I when I was researching – for this project uh, about the charter school system, yeah, that's you know, right. part of my film has I have an education system, uh, education sections uh, part of this film, New City. Uh, yeah. So you know, I did some some uh, research with that, but um, I can't I can't say any one documentary from New Orleans uh, or anywhere really, except you know Anthony Bourdain's TV series really had a, a major impact on me. Okay. Um, have you ever seen Les Blanks uh, Always for Pleasure no is that that's, good that's the one I watch like every year on Mardi Gras it just gets me like psyched about the city Always for Pleasure Les yeah. Blank yeah. and is he is he he's Les Blank is he's, he's an not, older guy this is like in the 70s right yeah he's not a New Orleanian no, no not he's, at all he's like a international yeah yeah he's uh, wow he made he made he made a documentary yeah it's about. just like over two Mardi Gras he just came down here he falls around some like Mardi Gras Indians and like goes to parades very cool where uh, is it on Netflix or yeah it's on um, Hulu it's a Criterion uh, okay. documentary I would love to see him. I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch that like oh, tonight probably <laughs> please do it's awesome <laughs> okay um, so I, I guess I uh, also wanted to ask you um, just talking about film production in New Orleans do you feel like we're still number one because it seems like a lot of businesses move into like Atlanta yeah, no, you know, so the, since I made this uh, documentary, um, there's been some changes in the tax code structure for films, and there's still a lot of films coming in, but I don't know the actual statistics now that I'm done making the documentary yeah. as to whether or not we're still making more films than Los Angeles, uh, but we were when we were making the documentary. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I was just curious, because it does seem like that landscape's shifting a little bit. I, I mean, I definitely know that the tax credit system changed. Mm -hmm. it, there still are tax credits, Yeah. but the way that it's all structured now is a little different, and I don't know how much of an impact that has had on the New Orleans uh, production scene. Okay. Um, but I could find out for you. <laughs> I was just curious. Yeah. Um, also, just the... Uh... On a, like a production note, um, the aerial shots you have with, uh, I'm guessing those are like drone operated. There um, are Kavu Media, uh, it's a company in New Orleans, uh, good friends of mine, Ian Cotita and Will, uh, Will Wheeler. Um, they, uh, they do all this wonderful aerial uh, photography all around the city, all over the place. Um, and, uh, you know, they're on Instagram. You should check them out. Uh, and you can follow their, their stuff there. They, but they're, uh, they're doing some really beautiful work and, uh, I'm talking to them right now about various collaborations, uh, but I, I really love what they do, and they're the nicest guys. Yeah, they, they sort of brought, um, 
I get I guess drone technology sort of does this, but it brought this whole other like production level to it that was really nice. It's amazing. You know, it used to be you had to get a helicopter and a, yeah or whatever, and yeah, I mean now you can add a, a tremendous amount of production value to your production for very little money. It's really great. Okay, um, and also just uh, trying to get your um, film hosted on like Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw that you showed at the CAC. I did, yeah. Um, it, where else has it been? How's it? How's so it, it premiered at CAC. Uh, there was a test screening before the premiere at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Oh, uh, cool. And uh, it also uh, showed at the Zeitgeist uh, Theater here uh, in Central City. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say it... Uh, yeah, so those three places where it's th- theatrical showings. Um, and then uh, I've been talking to someone at Indywood about uh, maybe showing it there. Is it Will? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a... No, it's a girl. Oh, okay, I can't yeah. remember. It's been a couple months since we communicated. She wanted to show it as her... She had asked me, if, you know, possibly showing it as their reopening film, but I think they reopened with something else. I'm not sure. I didn't. Uh, I need to get in touch with her. Yeah. But, uh, but then, uh, yeah. So now it's available to anyone on Amazon Prime uh, for free, or uh, you could pay like a couple bucks or something to watch it on Amazon if you don't have Amazon Prime. Gotcha. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, just moving away from New City for a second, uh, like the big. Uh, thing I found on your IMDb page when I was looking you up was that Ridley Scott gave you a, a little blurb he did yeah how did that come about <laughs> so uh, I made a film called uh, a short film called The Rhapsody in 2008 and um, got it got it to him and uh, he watched it and uh, I guess I guess he really liked it oh cool yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah he um, he released that for the media and um, yeah it's pretty cool he's a great guy uh, hero you know I mean Blade Runner and I know you're in a art, you know, AI and various yeah. things, and uh, I mean he's you know visually just a genius, and uh, actually uh, worked for his company Scott Free for three years. Oh, cool! And uh, just answering his phones and you know <laughs> answering the phones for the big company and being a receptionist and writing screenplays all day because I wanted a job that I could just basically write all the time, and so I was like I'm going to go be a receptionist somewhere where I can make contacts, and so. Uh, so I went to Scott. I got I got lucky and got this job at Scott Free and just basically wrote from nine to six every day and hammered out a few screenplays and made made that film and showed it to him and he was you know he was really impressed with it and you know very supportive of me. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, just to wrap it up, uh, are you working on anything right now? Or do you have anything you want to promote while you're here? <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> I think I'm. Uh, I have a couple ideas. Um, one is. Uh, of a fiction piece actually uh and um uh so i'm, I'm sort of develop. i'm pregnant with that idea right now it's evolving yeah um and then the other one is uh, a fully aerial like 70 to 90 minute film of just all aerial footage of the city with uh interviews uh with you know their voices over this aerial footage maybe show them sometimes about about the city about you know um and i could see like potentially you could have one for every major city in, in the country, you know, a New York one, a San Francisco one. And, you know, like, you know, interviewing poets and writers and uh, critics and musicians and um, about the city and, and just having just all aerial footage with a great soundtrack. And I don't know, if, I don't know if who would pay for this. I don't know that if there's totally any, work. <laughs> I don't know if there's any market for that. Yeah. Uh, but that's sort of something I'm considering. And then the other one's a fiction piece about a, a guy, uh, from a billionaire family in New York, uh, who comes to New Orleans uh, after his father dies because he hears that he has a sister here, 
and so he's trying to locate this sister uh, and trying to reconnect with her. She's his only living family member left over. So okay, yeah. So a couple couple ideas. I I like that aerial idea just because um one one of the favorite things about New City was how uh it would just pull back and just show you the city from above and it just get kind of puts your mind in like a larger scale uh space. Did you see Sicario last year? Yeah. So yeah. you know how, like Sicario has those like huge aerial shots over um was it Juarez where it's shot? I don't even remember. But um huge aerial shots over the city and then you go into like the drug smuggling tunnels it's like this really shots. weird shift of perspective to like be cramped and then just look look out I love that yeah yeah, I love that yeah no I, I definitely you know um, may work with Kavu Media again on mm-hmm. and, and doing this project or I'm not sure what, what, what's next I'm you know I'm really busy with the advertising stuff right now although you know my real passion is in stuff like this but uh, is that K-O-V-U is that right it's uh, C-A-V-U gotcha Kavu Media yeah cool I um, think they're Kavu Media Nolo on Instagram or something like that. Do you have a web address where people can keep up with you? Yeah. Um, so uh, Nolavid is the name of my video production company. So Nolavid.com, Instagram Nolavid. Uh, or if you want to follow me personally on Instagram, it's MMC80. Uh, and then, um, you know, there's Facebook information about New City. It's on Amazon Prime or Amazon if you don't have Prime. And uh, I would love to hear, you know, shoot me an email, max at Nolavid.com if you have any ideas about the film or if you have ideas for projects that you want to collaborate on um you know uh, i'd be happy to discuss it with anyone well thanks man thanks for sharing a cocktail with me and having <laughs> a conversation so it's very cool thank you so much i really enjoyed it thanks for having me oh no problem anytime